passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another draft podcast on the Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, uh, joined by Peter Flaherty, who is uh, in, a, in a new neck of the woods right now. I think he's out in Arizona getting some pro looks. A true baseball American. I think Peter's technically on a little bit of a, a vacation, and he's he's actually going out there and seeing baseball live. So, you know, you got to love that, Peter. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, yeah. It's a, uh, a nice long weekend with my lovely girlfriend with uh, a little bit of AFL action um, mixed in. I figured went in Rome and and caught my first AFL game last night, and it, it didn't disappoint. Chase DeLauder was the – I left really blown away with DeLauder, two for four with uh, – with a mammoth home run. So he was really impressive and, and same with Ryan bliss actually. So first of all, if you guys are listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the video that Peter put up on chase to just the sound off his bat in both the videos that you posted, Peter was so awesome to see me and Ben a few weeks ago, talked about AFL guys that we were excited to see. And I think the was near the top of the list, just given some of the time that he'd missed uh, given how loud the tools are and how good of a hitter he's been. Really, if you look at his entire track record of hitting pro ball, uh, college ball with James Madison at the Cape, it's really astounding numbers. And when you pair the physical tools that he has with that, I wonder if he's, I wonder how under the radar he's going, just given a lack of playing time in pro ball, but it doesn't feel like that's going to last much longer if he keeps hitting like that. So that was really cool to see. And I guess as someone who's never been to the AFL, uh, how did the AFL experience live up to the hype? Because our pro guys love it, man. They talk about it being one of the best baseball, um, I guess, events you can go to. It was a really cool experience being my first time. I know it's it's Josh's cup of tea, but I can see why he loves it so much. I mean, it's a very intimate environment, almost similar to the Cape League a little bit. Yeah. And you purchase a ticket. It's just general admission. And you have – no matter what you're there for, you have the run of the place. Um, I was able to move around super easily, like run back and forth from one side of the field to the other. 
to, to grab open face of right-handed hitters and then left-handed hitters. Um, there's a great little merchandise booth because I'm a huge, like, team-issued T-shirt guy. Like, I, I it, maybe it's a little bit of a gear snob move, but I like to get, <laughs> like, what the players have to rock. So, like, mm-hmm. they had a nice little team-issued booth of Javelina's gear and Scottsdale Scorpion's gear. So I snagged a t-shirt and then the pretzel I had was an above average pretzel too. Unsalted. Definitely recommend if you're at Scottsdale and it was above average. My hunger, my, like my absolute, like I was ravenous at that point. So that definitely (laughs) your scale, your scale was a little optimistic at that point, given your hunger. (laughs) (laughs) I was like shaking and I had like peanut M&Ms and a pretzel and that, and that did the trick, but the yeah, overall experience go. was, was excellent. I, and I couldn't recommend it more. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to get some live baseball here in the future as well. It's been a little bit for me really since the so- showcase circuit of the summer concluded, I guess it's been maybe almost two months kind of feels, it might actually be two months, but I'm going to Jupiter this week. So I should get a little taste of that. I don't know if I'll see anyone as, as physically impressive as Chase DeLauder at that event, but there are no shortage of players um, that should be exciting to see for me over the next week. We also have playoff baseball starting today. Um, We're not going to spend too much time today on this draft podcast talking about the playoffs. Um, I know Kyle and JJ on the main BA feed, which I guess you're listening to right now, they have a playoff preview. Ben and myself talked a little playoffs in the, the latest future projection episode. So if you want detailed playoff talk today, as we kind of get rolling, those would probably be your better, your better options. But do you have any thoughts on the playoffs, Peter? Are you going to be locked in? Uh, any surprises or any, any overall takes um, since technically we're recording this before it gets started? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than, than October baseball. Like every, you can feel the weight and significance of literally every single pitch, just watching it. And I think that's what makes it, you know, so much fun and I guess like for as far as World Series goes I mean I'll I'll stay a little chalky I'd I'd love if the Orioles could could win it all I think Mm. it'd be a perfect bow on on what what's been a really really special season at all levels because Norfolk just won the 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 AAA championship and you've seen all the success that their other affiliates have had and it's kind of the culmination of what's been I think years borderline a decade in the work. So I, I'm kind of pulling for them and hope they win. But, um, you know, the brave that anyone out of the NL is going to be very, very tough to beat, especially Atlanta. Mm. I mean, that lineup is ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't give this much thought the last time I was thinking about the postseason, but this will be the, the first year we've had playoff baseball with the new pitch clock rules, which will be interesting because I know there are some moments in the World Baseball Classic that were really intense and really dramatic. And the fact that there wasn't a pitch clock meant those moments, like uh, I'm thinking of the Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, AB, uh, where you really have a lot of time to like anticipate what's about to happen. And I'm curious, one, if people will even notice the difference since we've kind of had a full season to get used to the new tempo uh, and, and just how those moments will impact the players. It's like really high leverage, obviously. Um, I'm excited for it. I think the game is just more fun to watch with the pitch clock, but that's something that I'd kind of forgotten about because it's so normalized now. Um, I know. I, I kind of like the idea of having the moment married a little bit. I think it, it plays way better when it's a super intense moment and less so if you're in one of these like eight to two, eight to one multi-run games. Um, but I just love, I mean, like we both said, the sheer intenseness of it all. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into some draft talk uh, with our draft previews or our draft reviews, excuse me, from the 23 class behind us. We wanted to start dipping our toes in the water of the 2024 draft class. So today we're going to talk about a few of the players who are topping our current draft board. Um, you can see this full top 100 of the 2024 class on the site uh, with scouting reports for each player. This is kind of the the bulk of the draft coverage is this list. It'll expand and grow. The reports will get updated and lengthened out as we get into next year. Uh, but for now, it's a pretty solid starting point to familiarize yourself with the class with some of the top players to know. Uh, so me and Peter today are going to kind of work through the top five players on that list. Um, I think they're, they're players that we're both reasonably familiar with, but I, I spent the last day or so just kind of watching some video getting uh getting refreshed on a few of these players and i'm excited to see what you think about them peter like where we agree where maybe we disagree what the overall profiles are uh, i think in the past we've kind of been a little bit down on this draft class it's it's definitely coming off of 2023 not as fun uh just with the profiles you get and some of the the pedigrees of the players uh, but but all these all these players that we're going to talk about today have either electric tools or really advanced hit hit tools and just offensive approaches. So it should be fun to get into them. And as you guys are listening, if if you have any favorites of this group or you have any thoughts on these players, definitely let us know. Uh, you can reach out to us probably most easily on Twitter. I'm Carlos A. Colazo. And Peter, what's your handle? At Peter G. Flaherty, I took the Carlos A. Colazo approach. Yeah, there we go. So either of those, send us your thoughts if you have any on these players as we work down them. But do you want to just go straight down the list, Peter? Yeah, I'm up for it. I'm I'm down. And I will say, um, while I'm higher like you, I think at this point on the 2023 class, just in terms of its overall depth, I think for me, the top of the 24 class is more cheeseball-y. And for those unfamiliar with the term, um, a cheeseball, like, which I guess doesn't really fit for guys like Kurtz and Bazana because they're and Weatherhole because they're so notable. But a cheese ball is a guy that you know you're super super high on personally and have been for for some time. So I'm excited about the top of it. It gets a little murky as we go through with these podcasts towards the really the middle of the first onward. But yeah, um, I think that's what could make it fun in that it's a little bit of an open race for guys to to establish themselves as first yes. rounders and day one guys. I agree definitely with that aspect of it. I think from a coverage perspective, the fact that there is not really much consensus on on who's kind of at the top and like a clear order or a clear tier after that, I think will make it a lot more fun just to watch the horse. I mean, typically the horse race is more associated with like the actual college game and the team results. But I think the horse race from the draft prospect side this year will be really fun to watch unfold as well. And I'm sure there are going to be some players that that we're not talking about on this podcast episode that nine months from now we'll be in play with these top five picks. So just seeing who those players wind up being will be cool. And and also all these players are are still developing. So the changes we see from guys that we currently have in the one, one spot, uh, like if Nick, Nick Kurtz, although I don't know, I, I'm curious what you think. I, I, I feel like let's just start with Nick Kurtz because to me, he's the most well-rounded offensive profile in this entire draft class. I mean, that's part of the reason why we have a college first baseman, in that one spot, you don't really get there unless your offensive profile is pretty elite. But just looking at what he's able to do as a hitter, um, it's not the same sort of contact rates or chase rates of a Travis Bazana or a J.J. Weatherholtz. But I do think when you combine just the size and the physicality and the power that he has, 
Um, it's a pretty impressive overall approach. The swing I thought was more compact than, than you might expect, given someone of his size. I thought it was plus bat speed. Uh, he really produces against most pitch types and most zones. There's no real obvious hole to me that I saw in his swing. I think he uses the opposite field pretty well. Uh, he has a thousand ops or better against both fastballs and breaking balls. The one that maybe you could nitpick with him is uh, the OPS against off speed was just around 900. Uh, so still quite good. But over his first two years with Wake Forest, uh, that's kind of the one pitch type that maybe you could say, okay, he could he could do with some improvement there. Or maybe if you have good secondaries or good off speed pitches specifically, you might want to attack him with that. But I just think it's a really complete offensive profile. And he's also while you don't have maybe a high bar for much defensively at first base, I think he's, I mean, you've spoken about this in the past as well, Peter, how high you are on him as an athlete, but I think he's a really good defender at the position. Uh, and, and maybe he's even a player that is athletic enough that you could try him in a corner outfit spot if you wanted to. But Kurtz for me feels like the safest all around profile, but what are your thoughts on the big lefty slugger from Wake Forest? I'm totally with you offensively, at least when it comes to a, a hit power combination. And you, you combine mm. that also with what I would call an advanced approach, um, at least an above average one. I think it's a, like you said, it's a really, I'd say high floor, safe pick. I think he's absolutely a, a big leaguer one day. And going back to his defense, I think he's a, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's plus defense over at first. He moves really well and is really nimble for his six foot five, 235 pound stature. Um, he's not as, as mobile as maybe a Trey Morgan, um, mm. but he is absolutely a wall over there um, <laughs> for his, for his infielders. And then also, you know, just, just defense alone. And, and I, I do agree that if you need to stick him in the outfield in a pinch, um, he's probably best suited, I'd say, um, you know, in left or right. Um, but I, I, he'd absolutely be serviceable out there. I don't think that any pro team would, would try him out there unless they really need to. But mm. um, again, he's, he'd be more than serviceable out there. And it's, I'd say borderline, you're looking at two borderline double plus tools, in my opinion, the it, it's easy above average raw power. And the hit tool itself is really special for a guy that size. You often see the, you know, taller in stature guys come with their fair share of swing and miss or length in the swing. And it's the exact opposite with Kurtz. Like you mentioned, it's almost, it's pretty compact and explosive and his long mm. levers and sense for the barrel. It allows him to get to really any pitch in all four quadrants of the strike zone. And he's such an impossible guy to pitch to. And we saw it all year in college. And I, I think, you know, I'm with you that his offensive profile is, maybe tops or at least right up there for the top in the draft class. Yeah. He hit uh 338, 471, 637 with 15 homers, 14 doubles as a freshman at Wake Forest last year. Then this year he took a step forward overall, really in every category Hit 353, 527, 784, 24 homers, 10 doubles. Uh, both years, the, the strikeouts and walks have been quite good. He's walked more than he struck out in both seasons. Uh, it was an 18% walk rate uh, as a freshman. It was a 23.8% walk rate last year, which is really exceptional. Again, you mentioned just the, the compactness of the swing. He's had a sub-20 strikeout rate both years. And I think when you're pairing that sort of average OBP slug with that kind of strikeout rate, uh, you feel pretty confident about it. I think, I mean, even comparing him to his, his former teammate, Brock Wilkin, 
watching Wake Forest last year, I, I got the sense that Nick Kurtz was the better hitter at, even at that time. I think his production um, throughout his first two seasons compared to Brock Wilkin would make that a pretty um, safe bet. I just think it's a, it's a more well-rounded hitter. It's, I think it's better bat speed, um, whereas Brock seemed to be more power over hit until taking really a, a good step forward with his approach during his draft year. And Brock's been quite good in pro ball. So if I think that uh, that Kurtz is the better hitter, I have pretty high expectations for what he's going to do with the bat moving forward. One other thing that I saw, just looking kind of at, at synergy and trying to get a little bit more granular with it, against fastballs overall, he had a 1,300 OPS. If you just look at 92-plus mile-per-hour fastballs, it's right in the same ballpark at uh, 1,275. And then also looking at elevated fastballs that were 92 plus, I know once you get like this granular, the sample size decreases and maybe you don't want to talk in such broad strokes, but he still had a 1500 ops against 92 plus fastballs at the top third of the zone, which I thought was awesome. Uh, we know how common the elevated fastball is in pro ball now. And the fact that it just seems like he doesn't have any real holes in the swing with this sort of impact just makes me feel as confident as, as maybe anyone in this class in terms of just confidence in the hit tool. Uh, and you mentioned the power. So he's just a really polished professional hitter. Uh, and I think to your point, pretty safe profile overall. Yeah. There's very little to, to kind of poke a hole in at least, at least at the dish with Kurtz, I guess. I, I mean, he was a two time Cape league signee, a two time team USA invitee. I guess I wish that he had at least one summer with Wood um, just to see what that would have been like and how he handled yeah. um, the best of the best. But again, that's a very, I'd say that's super, super nitpicky, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it should be a very productive 24 season for him. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, because the Wood bat track record is so important when you're trying to project guys to the next level, especially in the seemingly the era of, of hot college bats across the board and this power inflated offensive environment that we have like just getting that wood bat track record might make you feel a little bit better about the profile if you had some reservations at all uh, I also thought it was a bit of a bummer that he dealt with some injuries during the college world series with Wake Forest like not seeing him in those big moments uh, like we saw with Dylan Cruz and and Wyatt Langford that would have been really cool but that's just me kind of uh, getting picky here and, and wanting even more than we got with a guy who's already done quite a bit at the college level no, I'm with you. I, I will say shout out to a former high school teammate of Peter Flaherty, Jack Winnay, for stepping in um, when Kurtz went down. But I agree in that LSU game, it would have been really, really awesome to see him against Paul Skeens and, and in the big moments in general. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move down the list. I think if, if Kurtz is more of my like, personal favorite of this class, I think the next guy might be yours. Uh, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but I'll let you take the lead on that. <laughs> on Oregon State second baseman Travis Bazana. Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead and, well, and break him down for us, Peter. Well, you're not wrong in that he's my personal 1-1 guy. Um, I kind of – he stood out to me and popped onto my radar, and it's easy to say now, um, but after the 2021 summer when he was a rising freshman going into Oregon State, he absolutely tore up the West Coast League for the Corvallis Knights. And I know the West Coast League isn't a Cape League or an NECBL or Northwoods, but this is typically where, you know, a lot of the West Coast kids will play. Obviously, it's in the name. And then some of the more impressive rising freshmen. So it's still a really good wood bat league. I mean, like this year, mm -hmm. 
when looking at guys in the West Coast League, I think, you know, players who did a lot less than Bazana had great summers. Bazana hit 429. And this is, again, this is after his high school senior season. He hit 429 with 18 doubles, five triples, a home run, stole 18 bases, um, and walked almost as much as he struck out. And I was like, who is this kid? And I, <laughs> I kind of I dug deeper. Um, that's when he became a personal cheese ball for me. And then ever since, he's just torn it up. Um, I mean, he hit 306 as a true freshman in the Pac-12. I'd say exploded this spring where he hit 374 with 20 doubles, 11 home runs. I think the power and the impact really, really shined this spring. And he also stole 36 bases, walked more than he struck out. I mean, he's without a doubt my personal one, one, and I could talk probably about Bazana. If it was me and Jeff on here, we could probably do two hours on him. <laughs> um, I'll try and keep it to a couple minutes. Like, the approach is off the charts. He is so, so explosive. Like, I I mean, he's the definition of explosive in the box. It's thunderous bat speed. The feel for the barrel is, I'd say, double plus. And the, the pitch recognition skills and bat-to-ball skills are just off the charts. It was a 92% in-zone contact rate, 94% when focusing just on fastballs. I'd give the pure hit tool... I mean, I know that the a 65 is not a real grade technically. Hey, 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 not not with me, Peter. <laughs> I'm all for half grades. So if you if you uh, want to throw a half grade out there, by all means throw a half grade out there. It's without a doubt a 65. The power is Love it. no doubt above average. I mean, he's a double plus runner, I'd say. And what makes his base running ability all that more effective um, is his baseball sense. Like the baseball IQ is off the charts. He picks his spots to run. He knows how to run. He has a great jump league technique that he's used. Um, and then the on-field makeup, again, is is just off the charts. Like, I had the privilege to watch him this summer um, in the Cape League, in which he hit 375 with 14 <laughs> extra base hits, same number of walks as K's, 14 stolen bases, won the league MVP. I had the privilege to watch him all summer. And, I mean, there were games when his team was down – you know, seven or eight runs, the game was out of reach at that point, and it's summer ball, so it's really easy for everyone to kind of become lax mm-hmm. and and not really care, for lack of a better term. And Bazana, in these, like, silent nights, so to speak, you, he'd be the only voice you'd hear on the field, in the dugout, encouraging his pitcher, encouraging his teammates at the top rail. And this isn't, like, eyewash, like, hoping, like, scouts will see this, hoping guys will pick up on it and slap a good makeup rate on it. Like yeah. it's genuine. It is, it is who he is. And um, I think offensively, again, it's, it's, he's going to rake his way to the bigs. I think defensively, he's more of a second baseman. The arm strength is there. Um, I mean, he was getting on the mound at driveline this summer and just like ripping a 92 just for fun. Um, <laughs> it's above average arm strength, but I think the actions um, probably work best at second long-term, but he is, I mean, he, he's my personal one, one for sure. Yeah, I love that, Pierre. It's it's fun hearing you get really excited about a player that, that you've had a lot of um, like front and center time in person seeing. I mean, you make a really strong case for him as the one one in the class. The track record and the production speaks for himself. He does have the benefit compared to Kurtz of playing uh, a non corner defensive position, and it sounds like he's going to have no trouble sticking there. Just just given the speed and the athleticism, um, he has hit over three hundred both years in the conference formerly known as the Pac-12. Last year, it was 374. 
500, 622, went from six homers to 11 homers in his sophomore campaign. So I have a few questions about the Zonix. So I haven't seen him in person like you have. Uh, so it seemed, it, it feels like he's the type of player that you just fall in love with once you watch him play on a daily basis because of that on-field makeup, because of just his, his style of play, how much of a gamer he is, in addition to all the tools. But sell me, sell me on this. His, his swing is a little bit odd to me. And it's not to say that you can't do it with an odd swing. There are a ton of, ton of big leaguers who don't have a swing that you would necessarily teach a, a player learning how to play baseball. It's a little crouch. The bat tip is pretty extreme down behind his shoulder. It's a sizable leg kick. It just doesn't ultimately look like the most orthodox swing. And then also on the defensive side, I was watching some video of him, and I don't know how common this is for Bazana, but he throws from a low slot kind of a lot, or at least in the video that I was looking at. So sell me on some of these uh, maybe mechanical oddities with him not being uh, – I mean, not being really any anything that I should be too concerned about. Yeah, no, I'd say with the swing, of course, it's an unorthodox setup. I, you cite mm -hmm. that kind of barrel tip and bat tip. It is weird to see, and you're like, okay, how is he going to make it work? And I think the mm -hmm. simple answer, at least for me, is like, I mean, it worked all spring. It worked all summer in the Cape League against the best of the best. Like, if there was a reason to change it, I'd say that he should probably go away from it, but he's done nothing but but dominate at mm. all levels with it. So I think like it's one of those cases where, I mean, if it works, it works. You kind of see these, you know, they're few and far between, but these guys with weird setups or weird swings or weird timing mechanisms, and you're mm. like, I wonder how it works for him, but he just makes it work. I think Bazan is next in line for that list with this like barrel tip. It almost looks like, you know, I don't want to say stiff because he's super, super athletic, but it, it looks almost uncomfortable and he just makes it work time and time again. And then I'd yeah. say defensively, I think that's probably why he fits best at second base. Like I think the arm strength would play well at shortstop, but it is a funky slot, as you mentioned. Um, so is it I, just the normal, like it, for me, it was every, I think it was every time that he had his feet set, he was just dropping down a lot lower than you typically see with players, but he also made some plays on the move where he was throwing from a slot that is more like typical. So it, it just seems like that's the most comfortable slot for him for whatever reason. Yeah. I think when on the move again, it's a baseball cliche, but it's sort of like, he'll just go where the baseball and the play takes him in terms mm -hmm. of throwing and release. And then as you mentioned, when it's time to get his feet set and, and it's a slower developing play more routine. Um, I think yeah. that's when he'll drop down. And I mean, I, I think like he, like he tried, he was tried out in the outfield a little bit this summer. Um, much, I guess, a little bit to my dismay because he was in left. <laughs> I wish that he was in center and he, they just would have mm -hmm. let him run around a little. Um, but I, I think it would be interesting to see him out there, which I, it won't happen this spring. And um, I'm not sure if shortstop will either. Another position I was just curious to see how he would have handled. Mm -hmm. Um because Elijah Hanlon, the Washington State transfer, will will hold that down for the Beavers. But um, defensively, I do think he's he's pretty solidly a second baseman. And then the swing and the operation, um, it, I mean, it just works for him. And he's super yeah. super intelligent, like and very. I don't want to say metric oriented because it it might make him sound like all he cares about is the metrics. But he's very knowledgeable mm -hmm. um, with these new age data points and, and numbers, especially like the blast motion and drive line 
Um, and it, and it really, really helped him last summer, even, you know, add more bat speed going into his sophomore season. So yeah. Um, just super intelligent all around. So last question I have for him, because it seems like we, there are some similarities to Bazana and Weatherholt that maybe we'll get into as we talk about JJ Weatherholt next, but for both of these players, for Weatherholt and Bazana, it feels like there's not a ton of physical projection remaining with them. Would you disagree with that comment? Or do you think that uh, they're, they're at least reasonably close to maxed out? And so how much, I guess, power, um, how much power uptick would you expect at the next level? Because I think that's another area, and maybe I'm just here playing devil's advocate with you, with Travis Bazana or trying to get a little more nitpicky, um, which can get annoying at times, but I think that's what you have to do with the top players. Uh, but what stuck out to me too is most of his power just coming to the pull side. With in college, like I would feel a little bit better about an above average or plus power projection if he'd shown a little more opposite field in game power. How do you view like the power coming for him, the frame in the future, and his ability to drive the ball with authority to the opposite field? It is definitely to the pull side, like most of his power production, especially in, in putting balls over the fence. And and I'm with mm. you that physically more or less that both of these guys are finished products. I think what has me taking Bazana over Weatherholt and it's like, I mean, it's, it's as close as it can be, but I think there's a little bit more impact with Bazana. He's more explosive. Mm. Um, and then some of these little intangibles, um, like, I think just like have had me fall in love watching him play, which also could, you know, sell me a little bit over on him over Weatherholt, but, I'm with you that that it's definitely above average power to the pull side. I I don't think it's as much to the backside, but he will shoot the left center field gap, um, and and put balls into the opposite field gap. I'd say I saw it a couple times this summer, um, but but you're definitely right in that most of the impact and damage done is to the to the right center gap and over. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got me more excited about Bazana than I think I was before this podcast. So, so well done, Peter. Uh, let's move on. I was on also, to... I was no, no, going to say Sorry. too, he was ineligible for the team USA collegiate national team because he's an Australian citizen. Um, I think that one, obviously if he was a U.S. born citizen um, or just a U.S. citizen, he would have been a two-time member of the collegiate national team, which would have enabled you to get, a live look at him. And exactly. if that were the case, I think he would be your one, one. Interesting. Okay. Well, well, this is a fun conversation because now we're going to JJ Weatherholt, who I did get that live look with team USA. And, and part of the reason I am so high on Weatherholt is because again, I, I saw him really good in person. And I think this is an interesting case of like information asymmetries, how our live looks impact, how we think about a player and, and potential biases that, that that can create that we need to at least take note of. Um, but I love JJ Weatherholt. He it was just a monster for West Virginia last year. His freshman season, he hit 308, 411, 471, uh, five home runs, a really good season for a freshman. And then last year he just went nuclear. I think his 449 average led D1 hitters. Correct me if that's not right, Peter, but I believe he led all hitters in average uh, with a 517 OBP, a 782 slug, he homered 16 times, doubled 23 times, and added 35 bags. Uh, so really just a phenomenal season. He was a player that that I was kind of considering for Golden Spike semifinalist votes. I think he was pretty pretty solidly like a top five-ish player in the class last year, or in the country last year, just on performance alone. Um, 
what really jumps out to me immediately for Weatherhold is just how awesome the spray chart looks. I mean, it's impressive contact ability to all fields uh, where I was just kind of ragging on Bazana a little bit for his all fields power. Like I don't have as much questions about Weatherhold's ability to drive the ball over the fence to the opposite side. So that that's maybe one area where I would go Weatherholt over Bazana. Um, I also just think that like Kurtz, I don't have an obvious hole or nitpick for him offensively. It's really good contact. It's a really good approach. It's similar chase and miss rates overall to Bazana, who, who we were just raving about previously for those traits. All pitch types, he's done a lot of damage um, and performed at a high level. I think that the spread between his average exit velocity and his top end exit velocity just makes me feel very comfortable about the amount of power he's able to get to. Uh, like his his top end exit velocity markers are, are pretty close to what Bazanas were last year, but his average exit velocity was about four ticks higher. So I just feel like he has incredible feel for the barrel, um, the adjustability of the swing within the zone. And watching him live, what really jumped out is his hands are strong and the ball comes off really heavy, if that makes sense. Like much louder contact than I was expecting because he's not the biggest player. He's sub six foot, pretty strongly filled out and and the hands and forearms are really strong. But I was just pretty blown away with the contact quality and the approach overall offensively. I have less feel for him defensively and as a runner now, just because when I saw him in person, he was dealing with a hamstring injury. He wasn't playing defense. He wasn't even really running out of the box. Um, But again, he did steal quite a few bags uh, when he is healthy. It sounds like he's a pretty good runner overall. Um, So I'm pretty all in on JJ Weatherholt at this point. And I think you can probably tell by me talking to him, if if I was picking, I might take him over Bazana, but a lot of that is just comes down to the fact that he's the one that I've seen in person, and it was a good look. So, so tell me where I'm wrong on on uh, Weatherholt here, Peter. What what are your thoughts on him overall? I'm I'm sure you like him too, but we're nitpicking these guys here. Well, I was gonna say, hearing you talk about him, and then where I was gonna go with it, I might convince myself that Weatherholt's now my one one. Um, <laughs> that's like kind of like how close it is, I'd say right now at the top. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, it was a career year at West Virginia. Um, he was a guy that I know you and I were both talking about in terms of, you know, the Golden Spikes Award. There were scouts mm-hmm. that I talked to this spring that said if he was eligible for the 2023 draft, that they'd take him in the top 10 overall picks. And I think there's an argument to be made that regardless of class, that he last year was the best pure hitter in the country. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's 80 grade bat to ball skills. If, if you can put a grade on it, I think the, the end zone contact rate, I had looked it up this morning and, and yesterday, I think it was 94% overall. He doesn't miss anything. He doesn't, he doesn't miss against spin. He hammers heaters. Um, you want to talk about someone that's impossible to pitch to. Um, and it's, it's weather and it's a it's super whippy barrel through the zone. It's easy mm. bat speed. And like you mentioned, and it was a good point because it brought me back to, I, I would say I was lucky to get a live look at him this summer on the Cape because it was before Omaha and after, but and before Omaha and before he went to USA, but mm-hmm. um, he drove a couple balls with authority into the left center field gap. And the ball does really explode off the bat. Like you said, it's super easy bat speed, a great operation. 
Um, and he, he hammers it to all mm. fields. And also when talking about the makeup with, with Weatherholt, um, one, I know for a fact that he is an excellent human being. And two, with nowadays, it's so easy for guys to shut it down for a variety of reasons in the summertime and, and after their college seasons for, for whatever it may be. But with Weatherholt, he went to Chatham before Team USA, which isn't totally uncommon. A lot of guys will go and play mm-hmm. in the Cape before USA. Um, and so he went before USA um, played for USA and this is he's he he went to USA with this tweaked hamstring and this nagging hamstring and so everyone was surprised really even when he went to USA and they're like wow this kid's you know a, a crazy gamer um, mm. you know super impressive and then after USA he came back to Chatham um, for a few more games and everyone was like holy cow like this kid is <laughs> a, a baseball nut he like he is a baseball rat through and through, um, which I, I I thought was really admirable. Kind of his his summer path and 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 the fact that it was all self motivated and he did that on his own. It wasn't an advisor mm. getting his ear doing it. Um, it wasn't Coach Maisie at West Virginia. It was all just Weatherholt. So, um, I think that stood out to me. And like you said, I I think he's a plus runner. I think Bazana's baseball sense, at least like in terms of on the base paths from what I've seen in the two, I've had way more looks at Bazana though. Mm. Um, I think I'd lean Bazana there, but when you talk about all fields and impacts to all fields, I think it is Weatherholt. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'd say that the hit tool right now is comfortably in my mind, a 70, the power I'd say is, is solid average and, from a pure runner standpoint, I, I, I got hit, I got a runtime pre hamstring injury and it's, it's without a doubt plus. So mm. it's going to be really interesting. This arms race up at the top is with, with these three guys, especially. Um, and, and it's going to be very fun to see how it shakes out because I think that Weatherholt again, defensively is second baseman. He's got decent mm-hmm. actions over there. Um, I think that comfortably scouts and, and probably us in the industry agree and we'll end up settling on both of them being second baseman long-term. Yeah. I feel like that part of that right there is kind of the reason that this class just doesn't seem quite as exciting. It's, it's not totally uncommon for there not to be a ton of shortstops in the college class. Cause a lot of those like no doubt shortstop prospects who, who also have elite offensive profiles just go straight out of high school. Uh, but part of the reason last year's class was so exciting is because we had a number of pe- players who were at least playing shortstop in college even if you thought that they were going to move off the position pretty quickly into pro ball. Um, but with these guys, they've, they've mostly played second base. It sounds like both of them are just going to continue to play second base and rake. But yeah, Weatherhold is exciting to me. Um, I'm just always kind of impressed with just the adjustability of the swing within the zone to, to get to different pitches, to put the barrel on the baseball at different parts of the zone with, uh, with different depth, whether that's out in front or, or waiting back on the ball. Uh, from 2022 to 2023, he started putting the ball in the air a lot more frequently, and th- that kind of helped him jump in homers as dramatically as he did. So I just think it's a really polished, again, like Kurtz, like Bazana, like a really polished overall offensive approach with sneaky thumb. So uh, a really fun hitter for me. And um, I mean, I'm, I might be talking myself into liking – JJ Weatherholt over Nick Kurtz and I really like Nick Kurtz's overall offensive ability. So you're right. It is like uh, super narrow and super close with, with all these players here at the top. 
Um, but yeah, any, any last thoughts on Weatherhope before we move on? Because I do feel like there might be a little bit of a, at least a mini tier break here with our next players. Yeah, I think that there might be a mini tier break, at least like a, a minute one. Like, I don't think a pitcher is going 1-1 again this year, or maybe for a while. Um, and then when you start to get into the premium position, guys, like, I mean, not to get too far ahead of myself, like that is where Honeycutt with a really productive, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, this is Vance Honeycutt, uh, North Carolina outfielder. Yeah, I think that, like, I mean, we'll talk about him next. I think that's where he could separate himself. But, um, again, with Weatherholt, like, I mean, I think he is, like, all of these hitters that we've talked about so far are super, super well-rounded in their profiles. But, I mean, I think I might I might give him the nod right now for the best one, even just talking about him, like, mm-hmm. you know, 80 swing decision, 70 pure hitter. Like, the power is definitely going to play at the next level. Like, I'm trying to think of when I watched him on TV or – in person where he didn't generate quality contact. And I really can't think of, yeah. you know, more I'm, than I'm not sure. I haven't been able to see enough BPs to, to see what his raw power grade would be, but he just seems like one of those Bregman type players that even if you don't think the raw power is super loud, he is able to get to everything he has in game at, at a level that's just really impressive and hard to like, you don't see that, see it too commonly. So uh, I'll be very curious to see next spring what sort of like raw power and future power grades that the people are putting on him. Um, yeah, I think. Like, yeah, let's not to keep. Oh, I was going to say not no, to be carpet on, but I think my like my like whoa moment with Weatherholt was my first live look at him ever, which was this summer in Kituit. I was so excited. I woke up like it was Christmas morning, but um, <laughs> it was his first. It, it was his first at bat. And I was with you, or not with the like similar sentiment with you know the raw power and seeing how it would play. Um, mm-hmm. In his first at bat, he got I think it was ninety two or ninety three on the outer third, um, and he just caught it deep, let his bat speed and feel for the barrel work, and hammered it into left center field. And at Lowell Park, it's not a graveyard, but the ball doesn't fly by any means. And he and he short hopped the fence, and I was like, okay, like you know this is for real. Next at bat same sort of pitch on the outer half lace the line drive to left um and it was four for four in terms of barrels Hmm. yeah it's uh it's been impressive every time i've seen him as well so he's he's a fun player um i'm just excited to just be able to bear down on him more next spring because obviously last year i wasn't really focused on too much but it was hard to ignore what he was doing just given the, the overall offensive performance in line uh but let's move on to more my neck of the woods, UNC uh, going to the Tar Heel player, Vance Honeycutt, uh, like I said, center fielder for the Tar Heels. Um, he had a really loud freshman season in 2022. Some of the best power and speed in the country and to do what he did as a freshman really turned everyone's heads. I think he put himself sort of in this 1-1 position in the 24 class really quickly. He hit 296, 409, 672 with 25 home runs, 29 stolen bases, like you would not find a lot of players who had that combination of slash line home runs and steals in the country. Um, It was a pretty electric second half too. I I think most of his power came in the second half. He really turned it on and started going nuclear. That was fun to see. The, The big question with him was the strikeout rate and the overall contact. It was a strikeout rate nearing 30%. He cut that down pretty significantly year over year, uh, but maybe didn't have as good 
uh, of a year just in terms of overall production. His sophomore season, he hit 257, 418, 492, um, 12 home runs, 19 stolen bases. So not as loud on the counting stats, but I was encouraged with just the increased contact that he was able to make. And then we haven't even touched on it yet, but I, I think in terms of profile and tools, Vance Honeycutt would be the player who teams want to take high in the draft because he is an elite athlete. He's a great defender in center field. He's a great runner. He has raw power. And I think the separation between Honeycutt and all of the players we've just talked about, the first three college hitters, is just confidence in the hit tool. Like what sort of a hitter is he really? How much is he going to swing and miss? Um, but but Honeycutt maybe has the most exciting tool set in the class on the college side. What are your thoughts overall on Honeycutt, Peter? How has your your opinion of him evolved as he's kind of progressed throughout his his brief two-year career with the Tar Heels? Well, at this point, I think that we're talking about the first guy who is going to stick at a premium position and has legit five tool upside, um, which is going to be really, really appealing for teams. I think that the key for Vance, like you said, is going to be finding a balance between that power production that he had in 22, which came with a lot of swing and miss and a lot of strikeouts versus this improved approach, improved bat to ball skills, which came with less power production, kind of finding somewhere in the middle. I think that's the biggest key for him going into 24 where he can, you know, find this happy medium because in 2022, his K rate was 36.4, which was astronomical. And he cut that down by almost a full 10%. It was 26.7 in 2023. And the miss rates were this, way down across the board. Was that K rate? Did I say, no, yeah, you said K rate, yeah. but I'm looking at K rates that are different. So I'm, I'm, confused maybe i'm off then but but the k rate was significantly down in in 2023 compared to 2022 um Mm -hmm. same with the miss and chase rates the chase rates honestly like the overall approach with honeycutt he's never really like i'd say chased a ton or or expanded the zone Mm -hmm. too too much um it's just been struggle chase rate's pretty good i'd say overall between 22 and 23 which is Really, I think oh, good. Like it's not a bad chase rate at all. Sub twenty is yeah, was pretty solid for me. Yeah, most of the like most of the K's in twenty twenty two. I think most of his struggles and swing and miss came obviously against off speed and spin. Um, you know, against yep. changeups in twenty twenty two, the miss rate was forty two percent. Against any sort of spin, it was thirty five percent plus. Even fastballs, it was twenty six percent, which is you know, I'd say for, for that pitch type, a lot higher than you'd be looking for. And he, he Mm -hmm. sliced all of them um, coming into this year, but not to harp on like, I'd say some seemingly um, minute um, measurement, Mm -hmm. but like you said, he's an elite defender in center field, sick athlete, great body. And I think he's like six, three, one ninety covers a ton of ground in either gap. Like he is a slam dunk to stick at the position and we saw in 22 the type of upside he has at the plate even that even with all the swing and miss he had 25 bombs 29 29 bags um quick hands at the plate i'd say that correct me if i'm wrong that most of the power prowess is to the pull side like i've seen him shoot the right center gap yeah it's funny that you say that field (laughs) i looked at his spray chart and most of the power does come to the pull side 
but there is this little sliver of home run production to the right center gap. And if you've been to the Bosch at all, there there is definitely a a very steep uh, curve in the wall in the right center gap to allow a little bit of a power alley there. If you're a left-handed hitter, uh, it's a great park for you. But it, it was funny having gone to the Bosch so often when I was at school there and just seeing so many players hit home runs to that kind of shallower right center part of the park, just seeing how his basically all of his home runs to the opposite field are or towards that right center gap. So I think I would imagine a lot, a strong part of that is just because he's playing in a park that allows him to go deep there. But it seems safe to say that most of the power uh, to this point has gone to the pull side. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's super quick hands. Like he's tooled to the max looks the part. Like, I mean, you, you look at him and I think, you know, you think big leaguer, um Mm -hmm. i think it's just again the key for him is going to be finding that blend between approach and and power production and i think you know i i know that the staff there is confident in him to do it and to kind of finally put Mm -hmm. it all together i'd say um and it's going to be really interesting because again i think that with a with a strong season even if the numbers in the back of the baseball card look more impressive with kurtz bazana or weatherholt like if Honeycutt is able to go 2020 and hit around 300, a respectable K walk, um, the defense is always going to be there. The, the raw speed is always going to be there. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting lead up to the draft when it comes to the one, one discussion, because yeah. he'll be, he'll be in the thick of it regardless, barring some like dud, like he'll be a name that's, that's probably thrown around in that range um, for the entirety of the cycle. But if he's able to put it all together, he is going to be arguably the favorite. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds because I think he he does have two things going against him and really everything else you can maybe say is, is in his favor. The fact that he's never hit over 300 in a season, I think scouts are really going to want to see him hit over 300 if he's going to go in this top five range where his tools would, would certainly place him. And then all of the other hitters we've talked about are left-handed. Uh, so it's not a huge deal that he's a right-handed hitter. Like if, if you're a great hitter, uh, you're a great hitter regardless. Like Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford didn't really get penalized because they hit right-handed. But it is a factor um, that, that maybe if, if you're not as confident in the hit tool, you'd rather him be a left-handed hitter just so you get more advantages uh, in your matchups at the next level. But I do think the next year, if he's able to hit over 300, it would give teams a lot more confidence in the hit tool. I think Compared to really all the players we were talking about before, I haven't seen the sort of versatility of, of his swing, the ability to kind of manipulate the barrel in the zone. A lot of the time, it seems like it's it's the same swing with Honeycutt. Like, I, I just would like to see him show a little bit more adaptability within the zone. You mentioned the swing and miss versus secondaries and breaking stuff specifically. I, his production, this is his first two years at UNC, his production against fastballs uh, was a 10.54 ops against 92 plus velocity overall. It was 9.26, so both good numbers there. Against off speed specifically, it was a 12.34 ops, and then versus breaking balls, his worst category of these three, 8.93 ops. So I think whether it's a a swing issue or a pitch recognition issue, he does show some tendencies to kind of get out front and swing over the top of breaking balls. Uh, that are down in the zone or below the zone. So maybe that area specifically as a, as a place to improve. Um, I'll be watching that next year. But I mean, when he does hit the ball, he hits the ball in the air 
pretty consistently. I think that helps him sort of maximize the the power production that he's been able to show in college so far. I mean, especially his freshman year. So there are a lot of things to like with Honeycutt. And, and like you had said, to start off your, um, your sort of combo with him, like the defensive profile is really elite. The, the amount of highlight real plays that he's made over the first two years is really quite shocking. He's had a number of really impressive snags at the wall, a couple home run robberies. He's, I think he has great routes and instincts in addition to just really impressive athleticism and pure speed that, that should make him a, a fairly dynamic center fielder, regardless of what the bat is. So there is some sort of like fallback, even if he's not like an elite hitter, you still think you can get some value with him, given the defense, given the speed, given the raw power. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And I, again, the defense is going to be the con card um, with Vance. But with you, I think you made a great point with the breaking ball. And I think the swing adaptability that you do see with someone like Weatherholt, the ability to adjust rather quickly, that hasn't mm-hmm. really shown through yet. Um, with Honeycutt, there were flashes. Um, but again, against against spin will be the will be the key for him i i believe going forward yeah so he'll he'll be super fascinating to see if if there are any changes that we pick up on very early in the season and just what the performance looks like overall because um in terms of pure tools and athleticism i think he's in a in a league of his own among the players we talked about so far at least i would i would make that case if you want to push back against it feel free peter no i was going to say as a as a pure athlete and quote unquote tooled up as far as that's concerned he's far and away number one cool all right let's move on to our fifth and final player for this podcast and we get to change things up a little bit we've got a pitcher on deck it's been all hitters for the first four but we're moving down to number five and that's Brody Brecht Iowa right-hander who just has elite pure stuff um So maybe waiting on a little bit of the polish. His first year at Iowa, he mostly pitched out of the bullpen. He had one start in 17 appearances, uh, 3.18 ERA over just 22 and a third innings. In those innings, he did rack up 45 strikeouts, which is impressive. Um, Maybe the 25 walks you don't want to see. Followed that up with the 2023 season where he moved into the starting rotation for Iowa, posted 3.74 ERA over 77 innings. Still a ton of strikeouts, a ton of walks, 109 Ks. 61 free passes issued. Um, I mean, he's got a fastball that averages uh, 97 and 98. He's got a slider that seems like one of the better pitches, pitches in the country. Where are we at on Brody Brecht, Peter? And I guess I, I feel like Brecht, Brecht illustrates some of the questions maybe we have in this pitching class in 2024, where we have a lot of really exciting arms and pure arm talent. Um, but at the same time, that's coupled with pitching profiles that, that carry a lot of reliever risk. And I think Breck would maybe like typify that. Yeah. I mean, he is, I'd say one of, if not the most exciting arm in the country outside of Chase Burns, just from a sheer stuff standpoint. I mean, he's mm-hmm. only, he's really a two pitch guy at this point. It's fastball slider. Um, but he's super, super athletic. He's a former um, wide receiver on the Iowa football team. Um, again, super athletic at 6'4", 220, moves well on the mound, um, super quick arm. I think the key for him is just going to be honestly like continued polish and in reps. Like this is his first fall baseball season because he was on the football team the last two falls. Um, this will be the first year that he can solely focus on baseball 
um, which I think will be a key. And, and like you cited, the, a big thing with him is going to be developing that command and control and having that take a step forward because the walk rate has always been high. Strike throwing has always been a little bit of a bugaboo. But focusing on just the pitch types alone, the fastball, I mean, he'll pitch in the 97 to 101 range. There were a couple – the guns were hot, but, I mean, a couple of stadium guns had him at 102 and 103. Like, it, it is as explosive as it gets. It's probably – you know, it, it's at least a 70 pitch just on velocity alone, um, but it has some mm-hmm. life to it. It had, I think that this past spring, it had a a 28% miss rate, um, which is really impressive for a heater. Yep. And then I That's think right. that the slider again, I'd slap a 70 on it at this point. It is a, it, I mean, it's just demonic. It's, it, it's in the high eighties. It's got a ton of two plane bite, 53% miss rate. It'll throw it to both righties and lefties and make, each each type of hitter look absolutely silly with it um but when you kind of peel back and look under the hood a little bit past the exciting pure stuff that he has again you're looking at right now a two-pitch guy there's a ton of reliever Mm -hmm. risk i think that developing a third pitch um you know whether that's a change up or a more distinct looking curveball is mm-hmm. is going to be a key for Brecht, and I I'm pretty confident in that. Coach Coach Sean McGrath, Iowa's pitching coach, does an excellent job with all of his arms, and I think that getting his hands on Brecht for a fall season in a in the full lead up to the spring is going to be huge. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him come out with an improved repertoire. He'll anchor that Hawkeye rotation um, with another exciting arm in Marcus Morgan, but. I mean, he has, I mean, the upside with Brecht is, is unbelievable. And you're looking at, I think in terms of pitchers in the draft, he, he might have the highest ceiling of, of anyone. It's just about like adding polish again, adding mm-hmm. a third pitch and, and teams being sold on, on his starter ability. Yeah. I think you made a, a really just great point when you talk about this being his first fall, really focus on baseball and focus on pitching. That's just, monumentally exciting to me because when you have players who are either two-way guys and put down the bat or multi-sport athletes and they start really focusing on baseball only I really think that there's a lot of strides you can take in a pretty short amount of time particularly for pitchers actually Um, just the athleticism that he has as a foundation Um, like the arm talent that he's shown while also not focusing 100% of his time on learning how to pitch is pretty scary. You mentioned the arm speed. I think he hasn't even fully learned how to incorporate his lower half yet. Um, sometimes it looks like it's just upper half dominant, if that makes sense when he's on the mound. Like the fact that he's able to throw as hard as he can in my mind without fully using the lower half is, is just crazy. Um, but yeah, he does need to improve quite a bit in terms of the command. Um you mentioned adding a third pitch. He basically threw the slider 49% of the time last year, the fastball 48% of the time, barely used the changeup. I think he threw one that was like low 90s, didn't have really good feel for it. Even though I, I, I probably wouldn't expect him to use a third pitch more than like 10% of the time, and, and that seems optimistic. Like just showing that a little bit more, showing that he's got some feel for it, showing that that, that can be a pitch that as he gets into pro ball – can be a usable offering for him. I think we'll do a lot to encourage teams that he can start at the next level with more time. Um, Just improving, even if he's never going to be a command pitcher, 
which I would be surprised uh, if that found out, if that was the case, like upping the strike rate overall, it was 58% strikes with the slider, 56% strikes with the fastball. Both of those would be below average numbers. I think he's been able to get away with just how filthy the stuff is, inducing chase uh, with his slider, inducing a lot of swing and miss overall. Against better hitters, they're going to stay within the zone. He's going to have to attack them in the zone. Um, but I do think it's encouraging that he doesn't really let up home runs sometimes with, with pitchers who have really good stuff, but maybe not the best command and control. They can be a little homer prone at times. He only gave up two home runs. Uh, I think maybe in his career. Yeah. In his career at Iowa, he's just allowed two home runs. It's a 64% ground ball rate. So um, there are a lot of things to like about him, even though we acknowledge that there's a lot of improvement that needs to come. So I'm really excited to see how he looks next spring. If the delivery looks any different at all, how the strikes evolve and, and what the pitch mix looks like, because it is a bit odd to see, a starting pitcher at the top of our board here with a slider usage rate that's basically 50%. I would have to look back at, at recent draft classes and see like top pitcher off the board, how high their, their secondary rate was. Cause that seems like a, a kind of a scary number for me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting one. Cause I knew that he threw a slider a ton and, and almost leaned on it at times. I didn't expect mm -hmm. it, the usage to be more than his heater, but Again, you made a great point, I think, with the delivery, especially at least what I saw in the lower half. Like, you could get a little bit more into it. There's stuff to clean up in general. Um, but, like, with this velocity, obviously, you see a ton of effort, usually with guys with this premium velo. I mean, it looks like he's playing catch at 97 to 101. It is a, a low stress, um, I, I'd say, delivery for the most part. And, and going back to the changeup, I would not be shocked to see it really take a step forward or for him to really show it at, at all this spring. Um, there was one game in particular. I remember, I think it was against Texas tech and it was against Gavin cash. He threw, he turned over a really good changeup. I think it was like 90 mm. or 91, but it had a ton of tumble to it. He maintained his arm speed well, and then we never really saw it again. So I think he's got it in there and I wouldn't be shocked this fall at all if that's what he's working on. But um Again, with, with just more refinement and in, in cleaning up in general, he's got a chance to to really take a strangled hold on that number one mm. pitcher position. But not to foreshadow to next week, I think Chase Burns is right on his heels and maybe at this point someone yeah. I'd prefer. Um, just I think I'm more convicted on him as a starter. And then, of course, you talk about him now being at the pitching factory that is Wake Forest. I am To say I'm excited about what Chase Burns looks like this spring would be <laughs> – I'd say the understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then even looking at what uh, Brody Brecht was doing with Team USA this summer, it was just fastball slider for him. The game that he pitched, I was on the open side really watching hitters. So I didn't have the best overall look at him, but it was kind of what you would expect. There were, there were spurts where he would dominate and hitters would look silly and he generated a lot of ugly swings. Uh, and then the next inning he would come out and you would spike balls in the ground, just a little bit more erratic and all over the place. Um, so if he can add some more polish, uh, really the sky is the limit for him. You talk about the upside that he has being some of the best in the class. I don't doubt that at all. It's just elite, elite, pure arm talent. Um, I would like to feel a little bit more convicted in his chance to start at least, because I really wouldn't want to take a reliever in the first round. Um, but maybe that's the maybe that's the class we're looking at in 2024. Any final thoughts on Brecht or, or really any of the final five guys to kind of put a bow on this, Peter? This has been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and talking through it makes me has made me realize like how interesting that this class has a chance to be. Um, and then like on the pitching side, again, with Brecht, I'd say if, if you're looking for a starter at this point, it's Burns upside, obviously, I think, I don't know about obviously, but it's Brecht, it's going to be no pun intended an arms race to see who establishes themselves <laughs> as this number one arm in the class. Um, or if someone else like a Hagen Smith is, is really able to emerge, but it's going to be a really fun cycle. I think like there are, even just talking about it now, there are a number of ways that this thing could shake out at the top, even with guys that we haven't talked about yet that we'll get into in the next couple, couple weeks. Yeah. Let's cross our fingers for health for all these guys. Cause it does seem like it's yes. a bit of a, just inevitable that, that once the season starts or even really before the season, once people start gearing up, the injuries start happening, it always sucks, but it's just kind of something you have to deal with in baseball. But hopefully we can we can get a good year and have fewer injuries than normal because it's just always such a bummer when that happens. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed for good luck for, for all these guys, but especially the pitchers. Um, so that that does it for today. Those are the players that, that we wrapped up. Um, again, let us know who, who sounds exciting to you guys based on this conversation. Who do you like? Who are we light on? Who are we high on? Uh, how would you line up the top five? Because I do think um, you could line it up in any number of, of orders this year, and you really wouldn't get too much pushback from me at this point. So that's that's part of what's going to make this class fun, as we've talked about a few times here on the podcast. So for you, Peter, what's what's next coming up? Anything you want to, to plug or mention before we get out of here? Yeah, I'll keep rolling along with these freshman spotlight pieces. You can expect them to be out every Monday and Friday. And then podcast with Carlos every Thursday or Friday. This week will be Wednesday. And then in the next couple of weeks, I think Jeff and I are going to hop on to, to, to talk through some of the initial signings of the 2024 Cape League season, believe it or not. You guys are all Cape all the time. I love it. You, you're <laughs> as plugged into that league as anyone could possibly be. So that's fantastic. Um, the freshman spotlight pieces are, are a really good preview of names to know for the next next year's college season. So I'd highly recommend those. Uh, it's been a blast to just read those uh, for myself, even though, even after covering a lot of those players throughout the spring. Uh, learn a lot from reading Peter's stuff. And today on this podcast, learning a lot about players, just chatting with you about them. So this has been fun. Uh, for me, I've got Jupiter coming up this week, which will be the last live baseball that that I'll see this spring or this this year, I should say. Um, so I'll have reports on all the players who stood out from that next week. And then, yeah, like Peter said, excited to keep rolling out these draft podcasts into the offseason and and getting ready for next year because it seems crazy to say, but I, I can start to to feel the college season looming here. Oh yeah. Once we, once you get into fall ball and like these scrimmages start to happen, it like, it becomes way more real. And then once the, the winter break hits and guys get back and are actually practicing, then, I mean, then you're right there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. For Peter, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Thank you to all the BA subscribers. Um, we will see you next time. Take care. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.